in the in the light of this way of practicing, maybe the construction noise starts to sound like a blessing, you know, revealing the you know the set the way. Like I was saying, the sound reveals the non-sound and the space around the sound. And I think it's ongoing here, right? Like the last couple of times I've been here, it's the, maybe that's just Midtown Manhattan's always like that. But I think there's some kind of long construction project is there, like that. So, so, you know, you've got to make it into a blessing, right? Otherwise, your mind will make it into a curse, as if as if those people are somehow disturbing my meditation, right? Rather than actually it being your meditation just disturbing the the sound. And as I say earlier, you know, the audio realm is often one that's uh, more accessible. Mm. Sight, sight is more dominant as a sense, so we tend to fix on visual objects more strongly than on audio objects. Mm. So we can, when we're looking around, we see people, people, we can just sort of open up to the space around the people. But aud- visual objects look, they seem more solid to us. You look kind of solid visually right consciousness knows that you ain't solid at all right but visually you you seem solid whereas with auditory phenomena the the solidity they don't they're not so solid seeming right the idea says oh that that machine da 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 but it's easy to listen and notice that it's just actually it's ephemeral it's flickering it's, it's constantly changing and so easier to kind of sense into the, the non-sound, the space around the sound, the silence out of which the sound comes and goes. So I was just, you know, before we sat, just refer- and, and during a little bit, um, looking at this sort of practice orientation, an inner orientation to going in to a fine attention and sort of zooming out to a vast view. And also during the day, I want to look a little bit about at that same movement of going in or coming out and the way it gets a hold, not just of our, our Dharma practice, but a lot of the different areas of our life. You, know, you see that in kind of, we see that in our various personality styles, right? How you are relationally, especially when there's some friction or difficulty or conflict, right? Some of us tend to zoom in. You will find attention. What about that thing you said and that thing you did? And you want to kind of, you know, fixate on the details. Right? I can give very fine attention to all the ways you are. <laughs> and then some of us tend to zoom out right? and just go to oh, just we want to kind of check out. We want to get away from the details. We want to avoid the the kind of discomfort of conflict. It's, you know, and I think you can track that movement in all kinds of different ways. We can track it in terms of our practice, like we've been doing. We can track it in terms of our personality style. Right? Even more the one to grab hold of or to get away from, to fight with or in a fight or flight. Another way of looking at that movement. It's, you can track it in terms of, you know, broadly speaking, the, the, a worldly orientation is more one that, fixates on the details. Right. 
and a more you know the contemplative orientation is one that tends to go to the space and you know either have their uses and either can be problematic if if taken in isolation I remember in the monastery I stayed at in, in Thailand in the early 90s, there was a little sign that hang on a tree. And I found this sign very, very helpful and beautiful and reassuring at the time. It said, relax. In 100 years, all new people. <laughs> and when I was, you know, just getting overly involved in my own personal drama, Right. My, my mind and my practice and my problems and my, you know, all the my, my, my stuff. And then it's, you know, in other words, getting into fixating on a lot of detail. And then I'd walk past this sign in a hundred years, all new people. It's like, oh yeah, like don't take yourself too seriously, too personally. No, we can get very, can get very fraught around all this stuff that seems so important, so we can get so self-involved. And then so that reminder to come to a more vast open view of this, actually how insignificant and fleeting this whole little world of Martin and Martin's stuff is. And yet also that can lead to a certain passivity. Right? Oh, in a hundred years all new people. It's like, in a sense, and we look now at the kind of um, pressing impact of ecological crisis, and one could use that kind of wide open view as a way to disengage actually. So we'll maybe make some time during the day to track that movement around our personality styles and around how we engage actually in some of the stuff of our social world and political world and ecological situation. I'm also aware that you do this nice thing at uh, the beginning of days at New York Insight, which we forgot to do today, or didn't do, where you kind of just say hi to each other. And uh, I think there's a name for that. What do you call it? Maybe you don't have a name. Maybe you just call it saying hello to each other. <laughs> right. But um, checking in. Okay, let's call it that. But we didn't do it this morning, so I'd, actually I'd like to make time for it now. But rather than, let's, let's kind of include that in our practice, right? It's very good, actually. Communication is a very good place to see where we can go to one or other of those things, right? My, the tendency sometimes is to lean in, you know, to get fixated on the detail. What's going on here? What do they think of me? Uh, what do they say? More, mostly what do they think of me? I mean, not, you know... <laughs> It's a little bit about them as well, but you know, you're fixating on the details, and we get very involved, and we lose ourselves sometimes in conversation. We have the impression that the conversation, or that the person even, is over there or out there, and then we kind of lean out of ourselves, right, in in our engagement, forgetting that actually the contact—it's counterintuitive, but real intimacy, real contact, real um, exchange—actually happens by staying here. Because here is where the person is appearing, here in our awareness. Right? And then you have room for the fine attention. What's going on? What's the person saying? How's the person being? What's a, a, a useful way to, to connect in some way? And the space to actually stay at home in your own awareness. 
And some of us, of course, in conversation, equally have the tendency to kind of uh, back out to some fine, view, fine to some wider view. It's like, oh, human beings, um, and we want to kind of get away. Right? If we were to grossly generalize, that's why not for a moment. I would say American orientation or U.S. orientation is more to go into the line and get involved. British orientation is more. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. you know, to kind of, you know, we talk about British reserve, right? Movement to kind of just away from, and kind of. So, <laughs> just chance to say hello, what we do here, probably most of you are familiar, you turn to a couple of people near you and just to say hello, speak a little bit about your connection with New York Insights or your interest in being here today, etc. And see if you can just feel for and honor and it might be just what you're doing internally. It might be that you make it explicit even in the conversation, right? how you're doing that, how you're noticing, to see if you can you know, really actually connect with the person, visually, auditorily, auditory, energetically, you know, in terms of the content that you're sharing, and see if you can stay home, stay home in a kind of wide awareness, relaxed awareness, open awareness. Okay, so um, it might, it may or may not be clear in your experience, right, the way I've been describing the practice this morning. Is it clear in the explanation, at least? Well, that's a start. <laughs> so... Uh, we'll take a little more time this morning just to kind of play with play this this way of attending. And, and then we'll also make some time before lunch where we just explore a little bit what you're noticing, what stands out uh, in different ways. So, good to just move your body a bit after sitting still for a while. So... We'll just do a kind of very, very simplified. I don't, I don't want to try to teach lojong practices because it's. I don't feel qualified really, but I don't. I feel qualified to ask you to walk around the room <laughs> like this. <laughs> so we just, we just do a bit of that kind of what do they call it here? Times Square walking, right? So you just kind of we can mill in and out of each other. You. And you might hold your finger up to give you a clear visual point of reference, right? And you're just doing walking meditation, like you're familiar with, right? You're present in your body, present in your body. But giving yourself both a, a, a point of focus and a wide view. And it may be also that you can do it without the finger. And just have it that actually just the sense of body walking is your, is your clear focus, right? And the kind of just the abiding of consciousness in which the walking is known and felt is your wide view. Could be also that you use the aud an auditory object, right? No, you're just walking sounds, and space around the sounds, right? So see what seems helpful. And we'll, let's say if we walk for 15 minutes or so, then that gives you time actually to just to experiment. Don't experiment constantly, like a couple of seconds of this, a couple of seconds of this, a couple of seconds, you know, but to just give it a little time in the sense that it's all one practice, right? Oh, okay. Visual, object, space around. Sensory, sensation, s sensing object, space around. 
auditory object, space around. So just, yeah, we'll just make some time to, to walk around freely in the room like that for 15 minutes or so, and then I'll ring the bell. That, uh, that form of, that emphasis on those kind of twin aspects of attention could very well be good walking instructions for New York City, right? I think sometimes one of the difficulties that's there in the integration of formal practice into the wider sphere of life is that there's sometimes, you know, the emphasis on fine attention, like if you do walking meditation in a retreat, and maybe there's a lot of focusing on just the movement of your feet, the movement of your feet, and then you go and walk around Manhattan, and you're not going to last five minutes if all, all your attention's in your feet, right? Need to have a kind of more panoramic awareness. And yet, if you just have a panoramic awareness, no anchor point, you know, you easily get spaced out. So actually, that sense of, uh, of both at the same time, which seems to me is actually, even in the etymology of the original texts, is there, we, we have this strange grammatical, I mean, it's not strange in English, right? But we talk about being mindful of, being mindful of the breath being mindful of the feet moving, for example, and the walking. And the, the, partly that, just the gramma, grammar of that, the mindful of, goes to the object, as if it, well, the breath is all important. Right? But there's two parts of that, mindful of the breath, mindful and breath. But the grammatical construction, mindful of, puts the attention all to the object. In the Pali, there's no grammatical construction that's similar to being mindful of. Right? When sati is spoken about, sati is what's you know, usually translated as mindfulness. I think presence is a better, finer translation, actually, for sati. But the grammar that's used in the original suggests a sense of being, of entering into sati, right? being established in sati, right? uh, establishing oneself in sati. So that's very different, right? That's closer to what we've been looking at this morning. You mean establishing oneself in presence. A presence that's immediate, spacious, luminous, knowing you know, by its nature. Establishing oneself in sati with breathing happening. Establishing oneself in sati while walking. It's got a different, does it have a different feel? You know, to just being mindful of the walking. And that, when we can, if we consider that different, even just the grammatical construction of it being different, I think it makes it much more accessible to a more integrated practice. Right? I can't just walk around Manhattan being mindful of my feet, but I can establish myself in presence. It's the basic fundamental hereness of experience. Right? Mind is on. Right? There is this field of experience. There's this field of experience is inherently awake, knowing, right? And then I can apply this wakeful field of experience, this open, spacious knowing, right? So that it doesn't just get pulled by habit and impulse all over the place. I can apply it to something useful. So let me pl apply it to, oh, the feel of body walking. Right? 
Let me apply it to the particular objects that I'm engaged with. Let me apply it to the various thoughts and ideas and images and memories that appear and disappear in consciousness. So applying it to whatever the immediate object is and while being established in this kind of quality of an open field. So it's sort of just part of the, the grammar, as I say, that when we speak of you know, mindfulness of breathing, or awareness of sensation, all the attention goes to the thing as if that's what's most primary. But actually what's most primary in awareness of breathing maybe isn't the breathing. Right? Using breathe, breathing is a really helpful object. It has a, kind of, has a naturally calming quality when we focus on the breath. It's by itself not a very stimulating object, right? Breath is neither very pleasant nor very unpleasant. So attention doesn't easily stay there. If you have an intense object, then attention easily stays there. You can watch a movie for two hours. You don't keep having to, oh, bring the mind back to the movie. No, right? the movie just. You stay there because it's intense, it's engaging. Right? And then we say, oh, let's just take the mind easy, just from one object to another. We just go from the movie to the breath. It's like, oh, God, right? right. We keep wanting to go after something more stimulating. So breathing's a really helpful uh, reference point because it's quite neutral, quite unstimulating. Right? So you actually train your attention. You can go and watch a movie for two hours. You don't train your attention, right? The, the, the intensity of it just grabs hold of your intention, of your attention. So it's useful in those ways, but, but more significant than the particular object, breathing, you're attending to, the, the very fact that there is the capacity to be able to attend to something, the very fact that we have, that we're conscious, right? and that we can start to kind of engage directly with that consciousness. We can recognize that we're conscious. And then we can actually direct the attention of consciousness in various different ways. Mm. Established in sati. Mm. Wide open view. Right. Close to experience. Fine attention. In this way, then, we practice together. So let's take a, a half hour or so just for some silent practice together. Kind of... Uh, in this, with this orientation. And then we'll hear a little bit and discuss a little bit and see what's standing out for you. <laughs> 